Now, we're in our series that we started four uh, broadcasts ago, a series in which we're attempting to help you as a Christian layman or laywoman to become a bit more able and less fearless about counseling your fellow believers. Because every one of us has this obligation from God as we have tried to show by mentioning Romans 15:14, Colossians 3:16 and Galatians 6:1. Now there are other passages of course, but those 3 are the ones that we have looked at. The Bible then makes it very clear not only that we all have the obligation to help one another out of difficulties, but it also makes it clear that there is a way of doing this. And the basic source that we use, we looked at the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, tell us that the scriptures are useful for making, bringing about real change in other people's lives. They not only teach us what God requires of us, they convict us of our sin when we fail to meet those requirements, but after they've knocked us flat and shown us our sin, they stand us up straight again, as the third word in verse 16 means, to correct and then finally, they train us in the way of righteousness so that we can keep out of those difficulties into which we have found ourselves falling. And then also we notice in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3 that the scriptures give us all that we need to know that we might be complete, thoroughly furnished to every good work, all that we need to know to live as a Christian should. So any problem we get ourselves into any sin that we find ourselves entangled with can be met by the principles of the Word of God, and we can become disentangled, if we are God's children, from those particular sins by following the directives of that Word in the power of the Spirit of God that God gives to us when we humbly and faithfully seek to follow His Word in a prayerful way. The last time, we looked at Galatians 6, 1 and 2 a little bit more deeply, and we saw there not only the obligation to help other brothers who are caught in sin, but also something about the spirit that we have to have when we go to another brother. You can do more harm, of course, than good when you go in the wrong spirit. You can go in the spirit of haughtiness or the spirit of pride or the spirit of self-sufficiency, uh, and when you do, you destroy rather than restore. But if we're to restore a brother, Paul says we must go in the spirit of meekness to that brother. And we saw that that means to go with the attitude that here I am able to help you only because God of God's grace. If it were not for that grace, I might be the one who needs the help. And indeed, next week I may need to call on you for help in some other matter. When a person goes humbly in that spirit, recognizing that there but for the grace of God he might be the one lying underneath of that load of sin, then he cannot do any wrong. He will always go on the right attitude. Even if he doesn't have all of the answers, he will have the right spirit. And whether that right spirit is received rightly by the brother who, uh, to whom he goes or not is another question. But at least he has gone in the right way. And that's his obligation. Now, we want to turn today, at least in a preliminary way, to another subject. You know, many people have lost hope. Many Christians, even, have lost hope 
And the place to begin in helping another person, in counseling another person who is down under some difficult problem or doesn't know how to solve his problem, is to give him hope if he no longer has hope. The Bible says a lot about hope. Indeed, in 1 Corinthians 13, you remember that we read about faith, hope, and love. There it stands between faith and love as one of those three prime virtues that Paul singles out. But while everybody knows about 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul starts with faith and leads uh, through hope to love at the apex, they don't seem to realize that over in 1 Thessalonians twice, Paul speaks about those same three virtues, but he changes the order. In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we read about faith, love, and hope. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, faith, love, and hope. In both of these passages in 1 Thessalonians, Paul puts hope above love. He builds from faith through love to hope at the apex. Now, why the change? Well, the reason, of course, was that those Thessalonian Christians, unlike the people in Corinth who needed to learn about love, they were so unloving in their attitudes toward one another at Corinth, that's where Paul needed to put the stress. But those Thessalonian Christians were having a concern, a deep concern among themselves about the second coming of Christ and the fate of their loved ones who had died. You see, they had some false teaching not from Paul, of course, but he says from some source or other. He wasn't sure where it came from, either by letter or supposed revelation or whatever. But some false teachers had come into the church and said that nobody would die before Christ returned. And here some of their members, some of their number were dying. And they were losing hope and they were very confused. That's why Paul writes these letters to the Thessalonians in order to give them hope. Indeed, in chapter 4, he says, I want you to grieve not as others who have no hope. A Christian grieves, but he grieves in a different way. Hope is the anchor that keeps him from letting his grief drift into despair. Well, all right, so it's a church in which hope was needed. But the thing I want you to see about 1 Thessalonians 1.3 is this. He speaks of the work of faith, the labor of love, and the endurance or steadfastness or perseverance of hope. In other words, faith produces works. The work of faith means those works which issue forth from or come out of faith. And then the labor of love means that love produces labor. When you, when you have faith, you'll work. You'll do what God tells you to do. That's what James says. That's what Paul says. But when you love someone, you do more than work. You perspire for that person. You labor. You throw yourself into that activity, whatever it is. Love makes you go beyond mere work to labor. But even beyond that, hope gives you perseverance. Hope gives you steadfastness. Hope gives you that hang-in-there attitude toward others. You don't give up when the first rough wave comes uh, splashing over you. You don't give up when the first disappointment comes down the pike. You don't give up when things don't go the way that you'd like to see them go the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth time. You hang in there when you have hope. Hope produces steadfastness, perseverance. 
And that's what people need. They need perseverance. They need steadfastness if they're going to solve their problems. Far too many people give up too soon because it didn't happen in three easy steps on Thursday. They quit when they don't get the response that they'd like to get the very minute that they look for that response. Instead, they uh, need to learn how to hang in there. And the counselor needs to learn how to hang in there too because there are plenty of disappointments for him. We're going to talk about that hope in the broadcasts to come. So you hang in there, and we'll be seeing you in just a day or so. Lord, help us all to have the kind of biblical hope that we can get from you alone, and help us to hope for the welfare of others according to the principles of the Word of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.